This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Well, let's get right into the Word this morning as we're continuing in our series called Home, dealing with growing stronger families. And the title of my message this morning is Awesome Families. So write that down, Awesome Families. You can also follow along on Version if you have that app. Don't forget we have Bibles in the back if you need a Bible. But if you're taking notes, awesome families. Because, you know, it's easy to be average. That's why it's called average. Our world calls things average, though, that God calls awful. The average family is struggling financially. The average family is busy and rarely has time for one another. The average family doesn't pray or have God as the non-negotiable center of their lives. So if that's average, I don't want to be average, amen? Amen. I don't want to live average and neither does God because God wants our families to be awesome because awesome families bring glory to God. Awesome families give a model to the world of a life centered in Christ. Awesome families show what it's like to have a family centered with grace and gospel touching every part of their lives. But awesome families don't just happen on accident. Awesome families happen on purpose. Awesome families happen on purpose. Something intentional that we have to grow in and intentionality that we need to live. If you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and flip over to Nehemiah, the fourth chapter. Nehemiah, that's going to be in the Old Testament. Nehemiah the fourth chapter. As you're turning to Nehemiah, just want to give you just a little bit of background of kind of what's happening with Nehemiah. Nehemiah um, helped to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that were destroyed through war, and the people of God were imprisoned, and they were eventually set free, but when they returned to their homeland, they were broken and over the ruin that was left behind of their city. And when they went back home to Jerusalem, they saw how everything was just laid waste. And one of the very first things that needed to be done was the wall around the city needed to be rebuilt. And that's how you would protect your city back in those days, is that uh, your first line of defense was going to be the fact that your city was fortified with a wall. And if you look at pictures of Jerusalem, you still see a wall around Jerusalem today. And Nehemiah wanted to see that wall rebuilt, but not everybody was happy about that. He had some opposition. Even though he was trying to do something good, he had two people in particular that kind of led a revolt against seeing Nehemiah and the people of God rebuild this wall. And so because of that, they were daily making threats to him. They were threatening his family, threatening others' families. They were uh, keeping everyone just on pins and needles And so that's the situation that we find ourselves in as we read Nehemiah chapter 4. Let's just pick up verse 14. Nehemiah 4 and verse 14. This is Nehemiah writing from his perspective. He says this, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Much like the enemy that was in Nehemiah's day that would like to see them not be able to accomplish the purpose or the task at hand and would want to see their families and their lives being threatened, 
Wouldn't you agree that we have an enemy that is against the very foundation of the family in our world today? And that enemy is making threats, and that enemy is trying to intimidate, and that enemy is trying to keep us off task and keep us distracted. And so we need to heed the words that Nehemiah shared to the people who were facing opposition with the fear of their very lives being at stake. When he said, we need to trust in the Lord God who is great and awesome, and we need to fight for our sons and our daughters and our wives. He was basically saying, we need to fight for our families because your family is worth fighting for. Oh, like three people heard that. We're going to try that again. I said your family is worth fighting for. You, You see, it's not too late for you or your family. So many people want to say it's too late for us. Too much has happened. We have too much history, too much negativity. There's too much distance. There's too much pain. There's too much heartache. There's too much failure. There's too many mistakes that have been made. Too many situations that cannot be rectified, that cannot be resolved. And that's the lie the enemy would love for you to believe. The enemy would love for you to believe that there is no hope for you because you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth. The enemy would love for you to feel like it's over for you and your family because you made mistakes raising your children. That's called welcome to the club. I'm a member. Heck, I may even be on the board of directors. We all have made mistakes with our children. We've all made mistakes in our marriage It's just, are we going to let those mistakes define us? Or are we going to fight for something that we believe in and something that God has specifically told us is worth fighting for? And something that this world desperately needs to see someone fighting for because somebody needs to take a step out of what has been accepted as average. Somebody needs to say, I'm not going to settle for average. I'm going to fight for my family and it's not too late. It it always breaks my heart when I preach messages like this and almost without fail somebody comes up to me and says, oh, if I would have just had that message 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago or however many years ago. And I understand where they're coming from when they say that. I really do. Matter of fact, throughout this whole series, people have said things like that to me as we've been talking about the family and we've been talking about growing stronger homes and stronger families. And, and, And I get where you're coming from when you say that, so I'm not picking on you. But I don't want that sentence that you share with me, I wish I would have heard this or I wish I would have known that, to mean that you've given up to mean that it's too late for you because it's not too late for you. It's not too late for any of us, folks, because there's still a God in heaven that sits on the throne. Amen? Amen. And His way is still better than your way and my way. And it's never too late to do things God's way. Amen, somebody? See, we need to be aware that there's an enemy that would try to get us to believe that average is acceptable. There's an enemy that would want us to believe that average is okay. That enemy would want to feed the lie to us that somehow our dysfunction is normal and acceptable. That yelling at one another is acceptable because it's normal. That divorce is normal. That financial pressures and financial stress is normal. That verbal abuse is normal. That emotional or physical abuse is, is normal. Or that husbands or wives secretly being addicted to pornography is normal. It's just average. 
that not having a connection with our spouse is just normal. I guess this is just that season of life where we just start to grow apart because we're so busy because that's what all my friends did. That's what I've experienced. That's what I see on TV. That's what I see in my neighborhood. That's what I see with my coworkers. The enemy would love to get us to believe that average is normal. That it's a pipe dream for us to have strong relationship with our children or strong relationship with our spouse. That it's a pipe dream for us to think that we can have some type of moral strength and integrity at the foundation of our home because we've made too many mistakes and it's no, it's just, uh, it's, it's just over for us. It's too late for us to try to apply putting God at the center of our world where He's the non-negotiable. But it's not too late because things change when you decide to do something different. That's when things change. That's what starts the process of change. You don't always see the immediate results of those actions when you decide to do something different than what you're doing now. And that's the hard part. Because when you decide to do something different, man, you want to see the microwave product come out the very next day. And it doesn't always work that way once you've had that conversation or once you've had that experience. You think, oh, if I could just get them to a good church service. Oh, if I could just do this prayer, then I know that they would know. Could you give me the right words to say in a prayer? Or would you pray that prayer? And we think that's going to be that one thing that's going to turn the situation or turn that person's heart around. And folks... That's not how it works. When we make a decision to do something different, that's when the process of change begins. And sometimes you don't see the full culmination of that till on down the road because you don't know what God is doing in someone's heart. You and I don't have heart vision. God does. You and I can't see beyond the surface of what's happening. We can't see beyond what our expectations of others are. But God does, and God knows what's going on. And then all of a sudden, something changes, and you think it happened instantly. But God had been working on that for quite a while, and you didn't even know it. And you didn't even know it. You weren't even aware of it. But when you see this one big change, you're like, wow, this situation changed. My spouse is starting to respect me. Wow, where did this come from? Well, what if God had been dealing with their heart for quite some time, and you didn't even realize it? What if God had been working on them through the fact that they've been hearing the message from church or by the way you were treating them or by the way you were praying for them and you didn't even see what you wanted to see when you wanted to see it and you wanted to give up so many times but you kept doing the things that you knew were required in order to see change and you began to press into God and then all of a sudden one day you see something change and turn around and it catches you almost by surprise. But God said, yeah, I've been working on that for a while. They were pretty stubborn. They wouldn't let go. But they finally let go of that through a series of different things that God was working on their heart. And that's where we need to trust that God is great and awesome. Amen? Amen. So here's what I want to do today. Here's my goal for today is that I want to give you four keys to having an awesome family. And I want you to look at these things as perhaps different challenges that you can see and begin to apply in your own life. Do me a favor. Don't hear the things that I'm going to share with you today and immediately take a turn towards something negative and give all of the reasons why this can't happen in your home. Don't do that. Let's not be glass half empty people today. Can we agree to do that? I know for some of you it might be a struggle, but I want you to see hope. I was thinking this morning as I was uh, scrolling through the news feed on my phone I've been really following the election. You guys know we have an important election coming up, right? And you know you need to get out and vote, right? 
Okay, just wanted to get that out of the way. But I've been following the news really closely, and I woke up this morning, I'm kind of, I'll just admit it to you, I'm a little addicted to it right now, because I kind of want to see what's going to happen. Because you just don't know this election cycle, what's going to happen. And I woke up and I jumped on there, and I said, why do I keep looking at this? And I asked myself that question. I said, why do I keep looking at this over and over again? And then I got the answer as I began to kind of ponder on that question. Because really, when I look on there, I'm really looking for signs of hope and change in our nation. That's really what I'm looking for. I'm looking for hope is what I'm looking for. So I go in there and I'm like, I'm hoping something is different today than it was yesterday. And that's why I keep going back to it. Because I was asking myself, why am I watching this? Why am I following this? Because I'm looking for something that will give me a glimmer of hope that something is headed in a better direction. And, you know, I think that when we come to church and we hear messages like you're hearing today, there's opportunity for you to just glaze over and go, that's not for me, that doesn't apply to me, and here's all of my very valid reasons why that's not going to work for me. But as I share these four things, I want you to look at it through the lens of hope that just because perhaps some of these things you haven't applied in your life doesn't mean it's too late. And it doesn't mean that you can't start today. It doesn't mean that today can't be better than yesterday because it can. And God wants it to be awesome because He wants to show you how great He is and He wants to show you what a life committed to Him, trusting Him, looks like. And not only does He want you to see that, but once you get that and you start seeing the fruit of trusting God in your life, then other people begin to see the fruit of what trusting God looks like in your life. And then they come to you and they say, what are you doing different? What book did you read? What conference did you attend? Man, I'm just pressing into God and trusting Him. And your life becomes a testimony of fruit, of of what it looks like to truly trust and to follow God because He wants your family to be awesome. The first thing, and I want you to write these down, is awesome families have fun together. You weren't expecting that, were you? You were like looking for something like really deep with some Greek and Hebrew words and all that stuff. Like Pastor Derek's going to bust out some like really deep story about something that happened 2,000 years ago that nobody knew about, but we know it at Word of Grace. Nope. Awesome families have fun together. Love is spelled T-I-M-E, not T-H-I-N-G-S. So many people don't know how to spell the word love. They think that it's wrapped up in things, in case you didn't know what I just spelled. (laughs) I don't know how bad the time change threw you off. But love is spelled T-I-M-E. It's time. It's having fun together. Because it's one thing to say something, and, and so many people can say the words, I love you, And so many people long to hear the words, I love you. But sometimes the best way to communicate love is not only to say it, but my goodness, to show it, amen? And not through purchasing things, not through just simply working hard. I know that's what my dad always said growing up, you know, working hard and that's how you know that I love you. And it's through time. It's through quality time together. This is really interesting. And you guys are going to freak out at this. At least you may. I did. I looked up some polls 
on what people thought was important in their families and in their homes. And do you know a recent poll that I found that was conducted to children? They asked them what their favorite thing to do with their families was. The number one thing, the number one thing across the board, over over a thousand children that were surveyed, was they love to play board games with their families. You know what's the second favorite thing of children to do with their families? To go to the park with their parents and have their parents play with them. Not have their parents go to the park and do this. <laughs> to actually play with them. They said they love to play tag with their parents or have their parents go down the slide with them because it's kind of like that's their world and you're being a part of their world and they love that. It's not watching TV. It wasn't playing video games. Those things were really, really far down the list. Their favorite things that they loved to do was board games and go to the park. Man, I don't know about you, but that just that blows me away. And it really reiterates the old adage that says, people don't remember what you say, they remember how you make them feel. You can say all kinds of things, but they're going to remember how you made them feel. And that really leaves an imprint really on your life and your legacy is how did you make people feel? How do you make your children feel? How do you make your spouse feel? When they think about you, does a smile come to their face or does it, oh boy, yikes, hope he has to work late tonight, face. Because <laughs> people don't remember what we say near as much as they remember how we made them feel. In Psalm 127, you can go ahead and turn there. We'll read that together. 127th Psalm. We'll read the whole thing. It's just five verses. Psalm 127 and verse 1 says, A song of a sense of Solomon says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, they labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, and he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. You know, this, this psalm of a sense is a psalm about the family being built by God on his wisdom. He said, unless the Lord builds your house, then you're laboring in vain. Unless God's at the center, unless he's at the foundation, unless he's the one that's guiding and leading where things should go and how things should be built and the different values and boundaries in your life, and the covering over your head. He said, unless the Lord does those things, he said, you're laboring in vain. You're doing it in your own strength, in your own way, in your own human wisdom, and you're going to get your own human results. He said that blessed is the man who has a lot of kids. They're like arrows. We're pointing them at a target. We're giving them direction. We're showing them what the mark is and where to go by the direction in which we point them. And the foundation of that is to be the Lord. You see, God wants families to enjoy one another. God wants families to be built on His solid foundation. 
to where they actually have fun together and enjoy life. Folks, your family is not the military and you are not the general. Your family is not a business and you are not the CEO. Your family is not a laboratory of sorts and you are not the chemist (laughs) experimenting. You see, it's to be something that's a joyful place, a joyful home that is founded and centered on God. Amen? Proverbs 17 and 22 says that a joyful heart, a merry heart, does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. He says a merry heart does good like a medicine. God wants you to be joyful. He wants your home to be a place of laughter and fun, and God wants you to have fun together. So awesome families have fun together. The second thing is that awesome families encourage growth. They actually encourage one another to grow in the direction God would have them to grow. Turn over to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 um, really picks up the life of Jesus very early on, talks just briefly about his childhood. And I want to point out this one scripture, Luke 2 and verse 52. Luke says this, Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and man. And this is kind of the the end of the story where Jesus is found in the temple teaching some of the older people, and they're amazed at what he's teaching them. And Jesus grew. He grew physically, Luke says, in stature. He grew in wisdom, and he grew also in favor with God and man. And as we look at that, we can kind of break that down. We see four specific areas that Jesus grew in. And awesome families are going to encourage growth in these four specific areas. Jesus grew physically. That means that his home was a home that encouraged him to grow healthy and physically. And we want our homes to be homes that are healthy environments for our children to actually grow physically and mature physically. And then also wisdom, where he was exposed to things that would help him to grow in understanding and wisdom and knowledge. And then also he grew in favor with God, just growing as a person who is connected to God and having that spiritual development. But then also favor with man, which represents growing socially and learning how to navigate social situations. And really, if we look at those four areas, the areas in our homes that we grew up in as children that were lacking in any of those areas, it shows up in the way that we live and in the way that we conduct our lives. Because most of the problems that we face as an adult are a result of things that we didn't learn as a child. Most of the problems that we face are just simply results of the fact that Maybe God wasn't a priority in the home. Maybe health wasn't a priority in our home. And so therefore, we're repeating habits of what we learn. Maybe growing in wisdom and knowledge wasn't really a priority in our home. Maybe our parents never grew socially, and we never grew socially as a result of never being put in those situations to have those opportunities. Maybe we're not developing spiritually because our parents didn't teach us how to develop spiritually. Now, I'm not by any means advocating some type of blame game for our parents' failures because we all have our own, right? And I'm not saying that we can crutch 
on the excuse of what our parents didn't understand or what they just simply didn't choose to do or the way they chose to live. Because you and I are responsible for our lives, amen? But to give our children and our families a strong, structured environment that shows the world something different than average, we need to recognize the areas that God has called us to grow in. And we need to make those things a priority in our home if we truly want to have awesome families. I think that one of the biggest things that um, people really don't teach too many times in their families or talk about that we need to talk about more is how to handle our emotions. Are we having conversation both with our spouse and our children? Are we talking about how to handle our emotions? Because guess what? Stuff is going to happen that's going to make you angry. How do we respond to that? Is it wrong to be angry? No. The Bible says we can be angry and not sin. We need to learn how to do that, right? And you want to know the best way that they're going to learn how to handle anger? I'm going to let you guess. (laughs) By the way, you handle those situations. So as you grow in learning how to deal with those things, you're going to model that to them. And then not just model and assume that they get it, but actually sit them down and show them and teach them as well. And if you blow it, it's not the end of the world. Let them know that you blew it, though. Right? Okay, like, maybe. Okay, I'm thinking I'm right. This is one of those times where Pastor Derek doesn't really care if you agree or not because it's right. When you mess up, and you will mess up, I guarantee it. I'd bet on it. I'm messing up, man. I I do stuff all the time where I catch myself where my wife will come to me and say, you did not handle that well. And you know what I have to do? I have to humble myself, and I have to go tell my children I did not handle that well. And then I tell them what the better response that I should have chosen would be. And my wife holds me accountable to make sure that I do that, because sometimes I don't want to do that. Sometimes I think that it was good for them that I got angry or I blew up or whatever. Maybe they need to learn a little bit. Uh, No, Holly said, you didn't handle that well. Okay. I've got to humble myself. But that's what we need to do to teach and show our children that, A, we're not perfect. We mess up. But here's the right way, and here's the way that we should have reacted. And actually, you're holding yourself to a higher standard when you do that. You're saying, I'm done with this average thing. I want to have an awesome family. Amen? Amen. You're going to teach your children a lot through that, how to handle their emotions, how to handle situations, because really, as we react emotionally, how do we deal with that? Man, we need to tell our children, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad. What you're feeling is not something weird that I've never felt before. I I remember when I was a kid, I I had a lot of fear issues. I dealt with a lot of fear about anything. It didn't matter what it was. I'd worry myself about anything that you could worry about. And I would just constantly be attacked with worry all the time. It would keep me up. And my mother would sit up late at night, 11, 12 o'clock, when I was 7, 8, 9 years old, and have conversations with me just so she could better understand why I was so afraid and what I was dealing with. And she listened to me. And the greatest thing my mother did for me in those times where I was so afraid is that she didn't make me feel like something was wrong with me. Because until I had talked to her about the situation, I felt like I was very alone and I felt like that something was wrong with me, like I was somehow broken or I was messed up. But she reassured me that, no, people feel fear, people feel worry, 
And I felt that way before. And sometimes just having somebody say, I understand, man, that goes a huge distance, doesn't it? Having someone level with you and say, I know what you're going through. I know what you're feeling. I, or, or at least you can at some level say, I don't know exactly what that feels like, but man, I've been heartbroken too, or I've been afraid before too. Man, connecting that way just helps people to not feel like they're alone, like they're isolated, because that's one of the biggest traps of the enemy is making people feel alone and isolated. Another thing we need to teach our kids and teach our families is how to handle conflict. Man, you're going to experience conflict in life. How are you going to handle it? What are you going to do when conflict arises, when someone disagrees with you? Are you going to just completely remove yourself from someone that disagrees with you? Because there's going to be lots and lots and lots of people that disagree with you. Or are you going to learn how to walk with them? Every time there's a conflict in your life, whether it's at your church, whether it's at your work, whether it's between friends, whether it's between family members, do you just walk away? Do you just run away from the situation? Is that how you're going to teach your family to handle conflict? Or are you going to teach your family, we walk through this together, and we don't just write people off because we disagree with them? We give honor where honors do. We respect people. We respect their right to an opinion, even if we see that they're headed down a bad path, or even if we see that we disagree with them, and maybe it's just a disagreement. But we learn how to walk peaceably with people. And one of the best ways you can do that in your family is refraining from gossiping about people behind their back. Amen? Because if you gossip about other people with your spouse or with others present, and you begin to get emotionally engaged in your behind-the-scenes attack of people, then what you're telling them is that when we disagree with people, this is how we respond. When we don't like the way someone is raising their kids or spending their money, this is how we react. And that's what we're teaching them. And that's not the way God wants us to react. Amen? Amen? Amen. Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching. (laughs) I'm not just talking to you guys like, I figured all this stuff out. Don't you even let me fool you. I still deal with these things every day. But I don't want to be average. I want God to truly work in my family, an awesome family, and I know you do too. Another thing that I think we need to encourage growth in is how to handle loss. How to handle loss. Because your kid doesn't need to win at everything. And everything in life is not going to have a storybook ending. And how you handle that is modeling for them how they should handle that. And you know what? They are going to lose sometimes when they play sports. And instead of you freaking out and blaming the referee, who's out there volunteering or getting paid 10 bucks to ref your kid's soccer game? Why not accept a loss and teach your children how to accept loss in life? Because it's going to be a big part of their life. Because how are they going to react when they didn't get the promotion? All the system's rigged against me. They're always feeling like a victim. Do you want to raise victims? Or do you want to raise victors? You want to raise men and women who grow up understanding their identity is not wrapped up in whether or not they got a participation trophy or not. Amen? Instead of always 
trying to protect their self-image and their self-worth, we teach them that their self-worth is not wrapped up in what others say or think about them. We teach them your self-worth is wrapped up in Jesus Christ alone. And that's where your confidence comes from, not what other people think, not if other people celebrate you or not, not even if you win or lose, because you're going to lose things in life. And we need to teach our families how to handle loss. And then we need to teach our families what matters most, the values that matter most, the non-negotiables. We talked about that last week. What are the non-negotiables in your life? What's your life revolving around? What are the things that it is not negotiable? We are committed, and it's not negotiable. What are those things? What are those things in your life? What are the values that you're committed to? One of the things that I was most proud of my kids about was that when they go over to a friend's house, that they still stay true to their values, even if the family's values may be slightly different. Now, we don't let our children go over friends' houses where their values are extremely different. But if there's slight variations, I'm not going to nitpick because I have to trust my kids. And I have to trust that what I've invested in them is that they're mature enough to handle that. And if I don't think they're mature enough, then they don't go. But if I can see that they're mature enough to handle certain situations, or if I just want to see where they're at, I'll give them a shot. and We'll see how it goes. Just like my kids will go over someone's house, and there's certain shows we don't allow our children to watch because we don't think they're good. Other families let their kids watch these shows. I'm not going to give a long laundry list that I send with my children over to a friend's house of what shows they can and can't watch. But when my kids tell me, hey, I just want to let you know, they wanted to watch this movie, and we know we're not allowed to watch that, and we told them no. Good job. Good job. The type of values that they will uphold when you're not around, amen? Because those are the values that they're going to live out when they move out. (laughs) Because when they feel, whatever they feel restricted from and they want to taste a little bit of freedom of, if those values are in there and you've modeled those things and you haven't just told them no, but you've told them why, they're going to be able to stand by those things. And you've modeled consistency. You see, we need to look for teachable moments with our families. And even with us, as we look to grow as individuals and opportunities to teach these to our children, to be teachable in moments where perhaps even our spouse or a friend comes alongside us and is trying to help us through a situation where we don't really know what to do. But we need to be humble enough to admit that we need to grow in these areas. Amen? We need to teach and we need to model those right things consistently. The third thing that awesome families do is awesome families protect each other. Awesome families protect one another. It's like an umbrella from the rain. It's like a protection and a roof and a covering from the storm. We protect each other. Where we don't just allow anything in our home. We don't allow just anything in our lives. I don't care what the kid down the street is allowed to do. That's not acceptable here. We say it in love, but we say it firmly. That's not okay here. We protect each other. We, we, we don't just allow our children just to sit in front of the TV or have unrestricted access to screens to where they can stumble across things on the Internet. Well, they're going to see it anyways. Yeah, that's what's average. I don't want my kid to be average. I want my kids to be awesome. 
You shouldn't treat the minds of your children or your own minds like it's a highway that garbage trucks have access to, where they just keep traveling down and dumping junk and garbage into your mind, thinking it's not going to affect their heart. You may not notice when your trash gets backed up two or three bags, but you keep on dumping trash and you don't get it out of your house, you're going to notice. It's going to affect things. Friends will move in, little fuzzy friends. And they will take up permanent residence, and they will overtake. And then sickness and disease and all kinds of things will happen as a result. Why then do we not better protect our family from the junk in this world that would try to deteriorate and tear down the very value system that God is trying to get us to uphold and the standard He wants us to bear? We've got to protect our families. Just because someone else says it's okay doesn't mean it's okay. Just because it's popular doesn't mean that it's okay. Yes, I mean physically protecting our family. We need to do that. But if you want to break into my house, we're locked and loaded. I will jack you up. (laughs) But I'm talking about protecting our hearts because just like last week when we read in Proverbs where the Bible says, In Proverbs 4 and 23, to guard your heart above all else because out of it flows the issues of life. How much more do we not only need to guard our own heart, but guard those that God has given us in our homes as those children that we're pointing in a direction like an arrow towards a specific target? How much more do we need to also guard their hearts? Amen? And that means that we need to be wise stewards of what influences we allow in our homes and we protect our children. We protect each other from also the rejection of other people. That's one of the things that awesome families do. Awesome families protect each other from rejection of other people because guess what? You're going to get rejected by someone at some point. But your family is there to let you know you're not rejected. Amen? You're going to feel alone at some point in your life, but your family is there to let you know you're not alone. Your family is there to let you know that's not who you are, even though those people at work are trying to paint you a certain way, they know who you really are. And they help protect your sense of value and your sense of worth because they're reiterating, you're a part of this family and our family's value comes from knowing who we are in Christ and whose we are. And you go back to the gospel that even though you made a mistake, that's not who you are. That's not going to reshape your identity. Because we remind them of who they are in Christ. We remind them of whose they are. We remind them of grace. We remind them of the gospel. And we do that in the context of our family. We do that in the context of our church family. Amen? When we have people that are wounded or hurting or struggling or feel alone or feel rejected. Or people who feel like that they've blown it because everybody's going to know about the mistake they made. But instead of judging them or ostracizing them we come around them and we protect them that's what awesome churches do that's what awesome families do where we love people through their woundedness amen and we try to help restore people and reconcile relationship that's what the body of christ is supposed to do and we protect one another and we watch out for one another the last thing number four Awesome families serve others. Awesome families serve others. I want to read this scripture in Acts chapter 10. 
Acts chapter 10 and verse 1 says this, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to people, and he prayed continually to God. Now God used Cornelius in an awesome way in the life of Peter. God did some amazing things through his life. But the thing that made God want to use him and the thing that we know about him and the legacy that is left by Cornelius, we don't know a ton about him, but we do know that he was a man that feared God. And we do know that he was a man who was generous, who gave alms to the poor, a man who served other people, a man who made life more than just about himself. He had a reputation of being devoted to God. He had a reputation of serving other people. Awesome families serve other people. They understand that it's not just about our four and no more. Man, if your family is just our four and no more, and you're never reaching out to others, you're never welcoming to others, you're never engaging other people, and you expect everyone just to engage you, you're missing out on serving. You're missing out on truly experiencing a life filled with purpose. Because your purpose is greater than just simply tending to your four and no more. They should also have their hearts turned towards others as we all grow in loving God, loving people, and serving the world. Amen, somebody? We've got to model that. We can say it and it sounds good, but we've got to show it. And we've got to model that. And there's a lot of ways that we can show our families that it's not just all about us. By the way that we go and help someone out. By by the way we make ourselves available. By the way that we're willing to inconvenience ourselves and sacrifice something maybe that we even had planned that we were looking forward to, to go and to love on someone else or to go help them out. And it's all of those things that truly make families awesome and help them to grow beyond just being average. But awesome families are intentional. They do this by choice. No family that is living these four principles that I've taught you today, did it by happenstance, where they just woke up one morning and all of a sudden they were having fun together. They were protecting each other. They were there for each other. They were encouraging each other to grow. They were serving others. And it just happened. No. They had to make a decision that we want to do something different. We don't want to just be average. But by their decision, their commitments, their non-negotiables, their sacrifices, and their modeling a life that's going to impact eternity and have a legacy that brings glory to God, that's what makes those families awesome when they make those decisions. So here's what I want to leave you with today. What is your next step? What is the one thing that God wants you to do that would have the biggest impact on your family now? What's the one thing that you need to focus on, that you need to make a non-negotiable, that you need to commit to and be consistent in, that will help your family to grow. I know things aren't going to change overnight. I know not everything is, it, it, it may even seem a little overwhelming. You're going to put this great plan and strategy together. No, just start somewhere with one thing and be consistent there. And my hope and my desire is that through this message that something has stirred in you 
where you know one thing that God wants you to implement in your family or in your marriage or with your children, your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews, your friends, your coworkers, in your own personal life, that there's one thing that God has illuminated to you that you need to grow and be consistent in. And you take that step. And as you grow in consistency in that step, then what do you do? You say, God, what's the next step? And then you grow in consistency in that step, and then you do what? You say, God, what's the next step? Don't be overwhelmed. Don't be discouraged. It's not over for you. It's not over for your family. You need to start somewhere. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do today? Not next week, not tomorrow, not in the next few hours. What are you going to do today, right now? What's going to change right now? Because you don't want to be average. You need to start somewhere, and God's going to lead you in the right steps to growing into being that awesome family that's going to bring Him glory. I'm going to help you enjoy your family at a whole new level that you didn't even know was maybe even possible. Because what did, what did Jesus say? He said to men, he says, things that God says, they look impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Amen? Amen. So stop saying he'll never change. Stop saying she'll never change. Stop saying I'll never be able to do this or do that. Stop saying those things. Stop speaking that negativity and that junk. You need to hear yourself say something like, God, I believe that you want better for me than I want for myself. And help me to see it and help me to put it into practice. And then you need to begin to speak life and speak those things. Speak the truth. Speak the word of God over your children. Speak life. Speak the truth. Speak the word of God over your marriage. Speak the truth. Speak life over your finances, over your situation at work. Speak life into that situation that you think, man, I don't know. You need to speak that truth because it is the truth that sets us free. Amen, somebody? God, I thank you for this message. I thank you for this day. And I pray you help us to not only be hearers of the word, to be doers of the word. And I pray, Father, that you'll help us to grow and be those awesome families, Lord, that you have called us to be where we rise above what the world has called average and acceptable. And we'll be able to show them your love and your truth at work in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.